Yes, so the reading is in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. But let's pray as we turn to God's word. Our Father in heaven, we come before you with so many things on our minds and on our hearts. Lord, your word is a sword. May it cut through everything that is distracting us, everything that is discouraging us. May it reach our hearts, Lord, today as we Read it, and may we, may not one of us go away unchanged by that encounter. We pray this, that you would be glorified among us, and that this would be part of your good work in us before the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most of you know we welcomed our baby this year, and of course we heard All the usual things that people say when you bring your baby to church for the first time. Congratulations. Various shades of, aww, (laughs) it's cute. What we didn't have is somebody say to us, now I can die. (laughs) It's such a weird, jarring thing to say. To, to celebrate new life by welcoming death. 
And yet, that is what Simeon does. For the past few weeks, as Steve said earlier, we've been looking at these carols in Luke's Gospel, the original Christmas carols, the songs that were first sung at the birth of Jesus Christ to celebrate his birth. We've had Mary's, we've had Zacharias, we've had the angels, and now we get to the fourth and the final one on the album, Simeon's Carol, which begins, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Now, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. A strange response to the birth of a child, a child he had no close family connection to, no previous relationship with the parents. And so the last of the carols that Luke gives us, it is like the others a celebration of Christ's birth, of God coming to earth as a man to save us. A new human life. A human life who is actually the one who gives life, who creates and sustains life. And yet Simeon sings a carol of death. A song that begins not with new life, but with a man ready to die. And that may seem an odd theme for us at Christmas. And yet, we know, don't we, that death doesn't take Christmas off. It's always there. It's like a shadow, always there, just looming on our horizon like a dark thundercloud. We may not be looking at it, but it's always there, even at Christmas. In fact, death rate tends to go up in winter. Some of you work in medicine, you know that, you see that firsthand, but even for the rest of us, all the bright lights, all the shiny things that we fill our eyes with at this time of year don't actually chase away the storm cloud. We may try to distract ourselves from it with with nice gifts, with big meals. We may try to joke about it, be lighthearted about it, be pragmatic about it. We may try and find ways of avoid using the word. We may try and remove it out to hospitals so it's out of sight of us, out of mind. But these are only distractions from death. They don't deal with death. We live actually fearing death. Either as we face it, we fear it, or because we fear it, we don't face it. Some of us will be entering this season keenly aware of that as we grieve loved ones who this will be our first Christmas without. Or we fear for for loved ones who this may be our last Christmas with. Others of us may be entering this season with our own deaths, perhaps in our minds, as our bodies get another year older, another year frailer, another year closer to death. And even if we do feel fit and strong and healthy, we know deep down, don't we, we're not actually invulnerable. You only need to turn on the news to see that death doesn't come only for the old. Even the young, the strong, 
the healthy can be swallowed up suddenly by the storm cloud. And none of us knows if this will be our last Christmas. But that's why we need Simeon's carol. That is why we need a carol of death. We need a Christmas carol, something that we can sing that doesn't just distract us from death, that doesn't just distract us from the worst thing that we can possibly face, but something that faces it head on and is able to sing, I'm at peace, I can go in peace now. So Simeon is not fearing death. He is facing death without fear. He's facing death without fear. How is he doing that? And can we do that? I think the answer there is in two things that God showed Simeon. He showed him something before that day, and he showed him something on that day that he saw Jesus. And what he saw both before the day and on the day, together gave him the courage to be at peace as he faced his death. Let's start with what he saw before, because this song didn't come from nowhere. And Luke gives us a bit of the background to where this song came from. Even before we meet Simeon in Luke's account, we are told he is already a faithful Israelite. If you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He followed what God said. He waited for the things that God promised for, for consolation, for restoration, for the broken nation that he was a part of. It's a promise for the nation, but it was also a deeply personal promise for Simeon. This wasn't just a kind of set of beliefs out there or, or routines that, that he joined other people in following for him. See how Luke describes what it was like for Simeon to live like this. In verse 25, the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. God had given Israel, the whole nation, a promise of a Messiah, of a Savior, of a Christ, a rescuer. God's chosen one who would come to save them. He'd given that promise to the whole nation, but he'd given this one specific Israelite an extra kind of application of that promise to him. That he would not die until he saw that Savior. Somehow he knew this. Luke, tantalizingly, almost doesn't tell us how Simeon knew this. Just that he did. But, but notice that what the Spirit reveals to Simeon is rooted in what he, the Spirit already revealed to everyone else in the Bible. So the Lord's Messiah is the promise for all believers, but God has that unique application of that promise just for Simeon. It's not that it's to a totally separate thing. It is within the boundary of everything that he's revealed to everybody else. I don't think this experience is just for Simeon. Because while the promises of Jesus are for us all, for all Christians, he, he also speaks those promises personally 
to each of us in ways that are unique to, to each of our lives, to each of our situations. God made us as individuals. And while Jesus saves us all by one act in history, he, he meets and applies that salvation to each of us in ways that are personal to us. Now, when we're together on Sundays, mainly and rightly, we, we sing and we talk about what we all share, about what the Lord Jesus does for us all, rather than the unique things that Jesus is doing in each of our lives. The main exception to this, of course, is when somebody is being baptized, and then we invite them to, to stand at the front and say, how, the, how has the Holy Spirit made Jesus known to them? To, to them in their own unique life, with their own unique situation, their own background and set of relationships that only they have. So we kind of rem- we know that at the start, but then sometimes we might forget it as we go on in our journey of faith, that we focus, we sort of drift into this focus on the generic, on the promises that we all have, that we all share in common because it's there, because it's written down, and it's very easy, it's very clear. And honestly, it's perhaps a bit more comfortable. It gives us something outside ourselves, a, a tidy list of do's and don'ts, a shape to kind of conform to, rather than a living relationship which is more complex, which is more challenging. It's the difference between us all trying to fit into a mold of a generic Christian and us all letting God mold us, sculpt us into unique works of his art. Yes, there there are common ways in which he does that. But each of us is unique. And so opening up the Bible ought not to be just a reading comprehension exercise. God wants us to, he wants to relate to us, not just by his word, but by his spirit speaking to us as we read his word, giving us those unique applications, applying it, imprinting it on our inner lives, so our outer lives display that work. And so there should be a, a wonderful variety in the church family. We're not all conforming, just being poured into a mold of a generic Christian. So someone can, can look at us and say, well, they're all the same. There should be something there should be something in common. There should be a signature of God on each of us, but also unique ways in which God is working in each of our lives. Of course, when we gather, we are going to focus on what we have in common on our shared context as a church family in Cambridge, but that's just the starting point. Exactly what God wants to do in my life today as I read Luke chapter 2, is not the exact same thing as he wants to do in yours or the person's next to you. Yes, he is speaking to all of us of how we face death. But that's just the starting point for a thousand applications that will branch out from there for each of us. And God invites us to show up to his word with an open heart for that.
to let the Spirit reveal to us what he wants to reveal, to lead us where he wants to lead. What would it look like for you to do that? To let the Holy Spirit make the promises of Jesus more personal to you today. Would you pray for that? Would you open up to God and say, yes, you say this in your word, and I think I understand what it means, but what does it mean for me? What in my life needs to change? Here's a good question we could ask each other over coffee or or when we meet for home groups, when we're catching up with each other, we could ask, what has the Spirit been revealing to you lately? What has God been showing you about Jesus and how he impacts your life? But how do we hear? How do we know that it's the Spirit speaking? Well, we recognize the voice of God by knowing what he said to all of us in the Bible. He's never going to to speak to us anything that that strays us away from that. He'll never lead us away from that. But beyond saying that, I almost don't want to list how the Spirit might reveal something to you. God's ability to communicate isn't limited by my imagination. Everything in creation is his. He can get my attention or your attention any way that he wants. He could speak through a thought or a sense that arises in my mind about something, a combination of many things that have been kind of building up over many years, just that that rises up in my mind as as I read his word. He could speak through the words of a friend or a preacher or a complete stranger who doesn't even believe in Jesus. He can speak through something that we see in nature, through a situation that is happening in our lives. Everything is his. He can get our attention in any way. The question is, are our eyes open to what the Spirit wants to reveal to us? Simeon's were. And it happened again. However it happened, the Spirit gave Simeon a clear sense that he would not die before he'd seen the Messiah. He also gave him a clear sense that he needed to be in the temple on that day. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he came into the temple courts when Jesus' parents brought the baby. Maybe he went to the temple every day. Maybe he just thought, fancy going to the temple today. Maybe he woke up and thought, today's the day I'm going to meet the Savior. We don't know, but he knew he had to be there. So that's what he saw before that prepared him to, to sing this song that he sings. Now move to who he sees now, to, to what actually launched him into this song as he holds the baby Jesus in his arms. The Spirit gives him a sight, a spiritual sight to recognize this is no ordinary baby. So let's come to his song in verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
for my eyes have seen your salvation. His immediate response to seeing Jesus is to take that personal application of the promise and to take God up on it. It's interesting, he, he could have heard the, the promise that God gave to him and just sort of taken that in a kind of one-sided sort of way. You will not die until you have seen the Messiah. Great, the Messiah's coming in my lifetime. How good is that going to be? But he also saw the other side of it. When you have seen the Messiah, you will face your death. And he faces it. He's not asking God to kill him. It's not a cry for a merciful death to escape pain and suffering. Nor is it a cry for a noble death to achieve something or to prove something with his death. It's more like how I anticipate I'm going to be feeling at about 4 p.m. tomorrow. I've just finished my Christmas lunch. I have a full stomach. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to think I'm ready for a nap now. (laughs) I'm so ready for a nap now. I've eaten well. I've had everything I, I wanted. I'm satisfied. Now it's time to go to sleep. I'm not going to get a nap, but I will want one. (laughs) Simeon is so satisfied with the salvation that he's seen. He needs nothing more in life. So when the Lord wants to take him, to bring him home, he's ready. His life is complete. He is at peace As he faces death, he is confident that everything is okay. Because, in verse 34, my eyes have seen your salvation. Seeing God's salvation, that's what gets him ready. That's what gives him the peace. It is a salvation so big, so great, that it is bigger than the fear of death. And salvation is a person. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. But he's not looking at an idea, at a piece of paper with a plan written out on it. He's looking at a person. He's looking at a baby. His eyes are laid on Jesus Christ, on God in the flesh. The rescue from the clouds of death is so wrapped up in the one who does the rescuing that to Simeon, they're they're almost one and the same. To see Jesus is to see salvation. And this sight isn't just for Simeon. It's not just who Simeon sees now, it's who we see too. This is salvation in verse 31, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation, not just for me, but to the Gentiles. 
and the glory of your people Israel. See, whatever Simeon thought the consolation of Israel looked like, he knew it's also going to somehow be of benefit to the other nations. He says it twice, it is in the sight of the nations, it's for revelation to the Gentiles. Not just for him, not just for Israel. What he sees is what the nations see. What's revealed to him is revealed to us today. Jesus is the salvation we see too. And like Simeon, Jesus is who we see death through. The specific application of the promise of of a Messiah that God showed Simeon is, well, it turns out it wasn't just specific to him because God included it in the Bible for us all. Because we all need, like Simeon, someone, a savior, to help us face our death. And here's how that works according to Simeon. Sovereign Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What is he facing there? He isn't actually facing death directly. He's talking about his death, but he's facing God. He addresses his song, Sovereign Lord. As he sings, he is looking at Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. He's speaking to God. I wonder if he even addressed this song, Sovereign Lord, to the baby, to the infant Jesus. Now I've seen you you may dismiss me. Simeon can face death because he faces it looking at Jesus. It's like we can't look directly at the sun, but with the right protective equipment, we can look through and see it. We can face the sun without our eyes being burned. Jesus is the one that we see death through. He is that because he has seen through death for us. Last week, Tim was preaching about the angel's song and he gave us that helpful category of the fear of death as a fear of loss, a fear of losing control, a fear of losing the life that we know with all the people we love, with all the people we depend on and who depend on us. Losing all the things we love. Losing the chance to keep doing the things that we love doing. Fear of loss, but there's also a deeper, more primal part to the fear of death. An even deeper fear we really don't want to face. It's not the fear of what death is the end of. It's the fear of what death is the beginning of. The fear that death might be the start of something much, much worse. Hebrews 9.27 says, People are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. That's the true terror of death. 
that knowledge that we, we try and bury deep down, that death is not just our hearts stopping beating. It is the moment where God is going to hold us to account. It is the, the point of no return where our souls are swept powerless into God's presence to give an answer for all the ways in which we have used and misused the life that he gave us. Death fully realized is the wages of sin, the eternal punishment for rejecting God. But Hebrews 9 goes on, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment so... Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. We can face death through Christ because he has faced the sting, the worst part of death for us. And Simeon, on some level, seems to know Jesus' death is the key to what this salvation is about. I think he has a sense about that as he tells Mary in verse 35, a sword will pierce your own soul too. What a powerful metaphor for the grief that she will feel as she stands at the foot of the cross watching her son gasp for air through ragged lungs. A sword through her soul. Jesus' death for our sins secures the peace with God that Simeon departs in. Because Jesus has died, the war between Simeon and God is over. The sin is forgiven. And so now for him to die is not to go to face God's wrath and his judgment. For Simeon and for all of us as we see as we face death through Jesus, to die is to go in peace. To go to God in peace, to go home. So we can face death, and we can sing in the face of death as we face it through Jesus, who shields us from its worst, who filters out its most harmful rays. We can face death as we look at Jesus. But it's not only about facing death. Jesus also helps us face life until death comes for us. After seeing Jesus, Simeon still, well, he was in new territory, wasn't he? He didn't know when he was going to die. Maybe it would be the next day. Maybe he had a few years left. Maybe he had many years left. The point is that once he'd seen Jesus, he was ready for it. Now imagine how Simeon might live the rest of that day, the rest of that week, the rest of however long it was. Ready. Imagine how that might change the way that he speaks to people, how it might reorder his priorities with that peace inside him. Imagine that resolve 
that I might give him to turn from his sin. And imagine how our lives might be different if we would live with that readiness, with that peace, until Jesus calls each one of us home. If we took Luke 2 verse 29 and stretched that out across the rest of our lives and lived as those at peace in the face of death, wouldn't that give us everything we need to, to face all the little deaths that we face as we live in this world? All the suffering, all the pain, all the rejection, all the, the, the little deaths of the reputation of our, of our relationships that may come as we follow Jesus. All the putting to death of sin in our lives. The worst of death has been dealt with. It has been faced already by Christ. He's taken the sting out of it for us. And so with Simeon, with our eyes fixed on Christ, we can see past the cloud of death on the horizon and we can see a glorious sunny day behind it. We can see salvation. And like Simeon, we can not only see it, we can sing in the face of it. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you came to live so that you might die, so that you might die our death for us. We thank you that in this, as we look to you, we find our life. Lord, we pray that you might keep each of us in our eyes fixed on you. Lord, help us to consider death, whether it be our own or that of people we know or that of people we don't know. Help us consider it and see it through you. May that reshape the way that we live until you come or you call us home. We pray in your name. Amen.